0: Well, this morning I'm continuing in a sermon series through the book of Philippians, the New Testament book of Philippians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he started in Philippi. He's writing this from jail. He's been imprisoned unjustly. Uh, and he's not sure whether or not he's going to get out, but he's writing this letter to encourage the Philippians that no matter what happens to him, God is still at work. The kingdom is still advancing, and he's encouraging them to keep their joy alive. And I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. We read this passage last week, focusing mainly on the first half of Philippians 3, and we're going to read it again, focusing mainly on verses 10 through 16 this morning. So let me read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, please help us to understand what this means. Help us to apply this to our lives. Help us to know you more as a result of our time in this place this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause while I grab my water from the front seat. So last week, we mainly focused on the first half of the passage where Paul talks about righteousness. It's a churchy word, a theological word. You can boil it down essentially to having a right relationship with God. To be righteous is to be rightly related to God. And he talks about how in the past, he used to think that the way to be rightly related to God was on the basis of his... Spiritual resume, you might think. He lists his spiritual resume in the beginning of this passage. He talks about how he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had the right pedigree. He talks about how he was zealous, persecuting the church, zealous for God, how he was righteous, legalistically righteous. He was a Pharisee. He was highly educated. He had all of these things that he said should make him right with God. But now he says he looks back, now that he knows Jesus, and he knows that that resume was garbage, it was rubbish. It meant nothing. That's not how you become right with God, he says. It's not on the basis of your good works, your pedigree, any of that. He says it's on the basis of the righteousness given by God, he says, that comes by faith, that when Jesus Lived the perfect life we couldn't live, and then died on the cross in our place, that He took our punishment and He gave us His right relationship with God. A couple passages we read last week to remind you of what this means. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See that last verse there? On the cross, he says, Jesus who had no sin, who was perfect, became sin, was treated as if he were a sinner, took our punishment, and we in turn received his righteousness, the right relationship with God. Amen? That's what happened, the beautiful exchange there at the cross. And so Paul says, I'm not trusting anymore in my spiritual resume. I know that I can't measure up to a holy God on the basis of what I've done or haven't done. I'm going to receive that right relationship that comes through faith in Jesus. Or as it says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Again, he's saying Jesus gave us his perfect resume. Jesus got the A plus and he gave it to us. He took our failing grade. He took our imperfect resume and he gave us his perfection. It's a gift of God's grace, nothing that we have earned. And so Paul, at the beginning of this passage, he tells them to be wary of anyone who wants to add anything to that. Anyone who says it's not just believing in Jesus, but it's also, in this case, the Judaizers who are preaching, you need to be circumcised men, you need to go back under the law of Moses, you need to be Jewish as well as believing in Jesus, you need to follow all the laws. And he says, no, absolutely not, he says, Anyone who adds to salvation by grace, anyone who adds to justification by faith, anyone who says it's more than just believing in Jesus that makes you right with God, he calls them dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. So at the end of this passage, after all this talk on righteousness, he says this. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. That there's a, a mature way, he's saying, of understanding this faith that we call Christianity There's a mature way of understanding our relationship with Jesus. There's a mature way of understanding why we're here this morning, why you're here this morning. And there's immature ways. And what I want to do this morning is use that verse and talk about three views that I see in this passage that are maturing, that need to mature as you grow as a Christian, as you move from immaturity to maturity. The first I see is this, from religion to relationship, that as you mature... This thing that you're doing here should begin to move from a religion to a relationship. Look at how he puts it. What's what's his focus here? What's his goal? He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It's not just to know about him. It's not to be a better person or to become more religious. This is the language of relationship, right? He wants to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to know him. I want to live like him. I want to be like him, even if it means suffering like he suffered. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. The immature way of looking at Christianity is that it's a religion. The immature way of seeing this faith is that it's basically go to church, pray, read your Bible, give some money, serve some people, try to live a moral life, and that's what it means to be a Christian. It's a religion. It's just one among many ways of trying to better your life and be a good person. The immature view of God is to see God as the heavenly Santa Claus, right? Keeping track of who's been naughty and who's been nice the heavenly scorekeeper, keeping track of your good deeds and your bad deeds so that on that day you stand before him, he'll weigh them in the balance and let you know whether or not you did enough to get into heaven. That's the immature view of God. That's the immature view of Christianity, to see it as some religion, God as some scorekeeper up in the sky. But he says all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, that this is a relationship. That's what this is. That's what we're doing here. It's a relationship. It's not about checking boxes and doing your religious duty, trying to be a good person. It's a relationship with the God of the universe who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself, with the eternal Son of God who gave his life for you, with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. It's a relationship about knowing, trusting, honoring God. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Prayer. What's prayer? Prayer is not a religious duty that you do five times a day or some deposit you place in a heavenly ATM or slot machine in the hopes that you're going to get reward from God. That is religion. That is an immature view of prayer. Prayer is conversation with God. It's communicating with the one who knows you, who loves you, who gave his life for you, who wants you to be a part of what he's doing in this world, who wants to make you more like him, transform you into a better person, who has the power available for you to overcome any struggle or sin in your life. All of us who are mature should take such a view of prayer. What about going to church? What about coming here on a Sunday? The immature view would be that it's a religious duty that you do in order to prove to God maybe that you deserve to go to heaven or maybe that you deserve good things now that he owes you for spending your Sunday morning here. That's the immature view of going to church. What is it supposed to be? It's about coming together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Adopted children of your heavenly father. To love him. To worship him. To go grow closer to him. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. To encourage one another. To be encouraged by each other. To serve each other. To be served by others. It's believing that he's present in a special way when we gather together. It doesn't just happen when you're at home on your couch. It's not religion. That's the immature view of things. It is a relationship with God. What about reading your Bible? It's not, again, some religious duty that you do to prove your dedication to God so that he'll hopefully reward you for spending time reading his book. That's an immature view of things. Reading the Bible is putting yourself in a position to hear from the God of the universe who created you. By the power of his Holy Spirit. To let him speak to you. To transform you. To make you more into the person he's created you to be. All of us who are mature should take such a view of it. Of reading the Bible. What about tithing? Giving money to the church or to religious organizations? Is it some religious duty by which you buy God's favor? Or remove the curse from your bank account? No. That is an immature view of things. That is religion. It's an act of trust in the God who created you and cares for you, who controls everything. It's saying, I trust in you and not in my savings account. It's an act of gratitude to the one who has given you everything. And so you want to be generous with others the way he's been generous with you. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. This is not religion, what we're doing here. This is a relationship with God. If you see this as religion, it's still an immature view of things. And God's desire is to mature you, that this would become a relationship with God. That whether it's praying or reading the Bible or going to church or tithing or serving or trying to be a better person, it's not about religion trying to earn God's favor somehow. It is about a relationship with the God who loves you and who you have grown to love. This is what Jesus said in John seventeen three. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's his definition of eternal life. It's not, this is eternal life that you will be up on the clouds playing the harp for all eternity. You'll have an eternal game of golf, you know, that will never end, and you'll have great joy at doing that, that you'll have this wonderful family reunion for the rest of your days. This is eternal life to know God, to know Jesus. That's it. It's a relationship. And if this means nothing to you, hang in there. Because, again, this is what he's trying to mature you into from religion to relationship. And Jesus put it this way in Matthew seven twenty-one to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Some terrible words to hear. But you see what he's saying there? I never knew you. You made it about religion. And it was a relationship. You made it about all these things that you did, thinking you could stand before me on that day and list out your spiritual resume of all those things that you did, and I would let you into heaven. And he says, I never knew you. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about trying to earn my favor. It's a relationship. Again, in this passage, Paul lays out, he says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And I see in this passage three ways that he's trying to encourage us from immaturity to maturity. And the first is this it's not a religion, it's a relationship. The second thing I see in this passage is this that he's trying to move us from fear, guilt, and trying to earn God's favor to love, trust, and a desire to honor God. Let me read again Philippians 3, part of the passage. He says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I see in this passage that Paul wants us to move from an immature way of relating to God where we're motivated by fear and guilt and a desire to earn God's favor to a a place where we're motivated by love, by trust, by a desire to honor God. As incredible as this passage is, I think there is a way in which the logic doesn't make sense at first. Because remember, in the beginning, Paul is saying your spiritual resume counts for nothing before a holy and perfect God. All the ways that I thought, you know, by my pedigree and my works and all that, that I was right with God, he says, it's rubbish, it's garbage. But there is a way, he says, that to be right with God that doesn't depend on that. Romans 3, 20 to 24. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testified, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So again, the logic in this passage, Paul is saying there's a way to be right with God that doesn't depend upon what you've done or haven't done. How many times you go to church, how much you give to the poor, all of that, it's through faith in Jesus. So Paul, you're telling me that The way to be right with God has nothing to do with my good works or my spiritual resume. Right? So you're telling me that going to church and praying and tithing and serving the poor and trying to live a moral life doesn't earn me anything before God. Is that what you're telling me, Paul? Yes. Then what's my motivation to do any of those things? If the only way to be right with God is to receive the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus, then why not receive that righteousness? Thank you very much, Jesus. And then I'm going to sleep in on my Sundays, spend all my money on myself, forget about other people, and just live however I want. There's a way in which the logic in this passage doesn't seem to make sense at first because he's declaring that your righteousness is not from what you do. And then he goes on to say, but I want to know him. I want to live my life for him. Even if it means suffering and dying, I want to know him. And like, how do those two things fit together? If, if I don't need to earn anything, it doesn't count, then why do I want to give myself fully to that? Why would I want to pray and tithe and read the Bible and go to church, all that, if it doesn't earn me anything? If Jesus has already given me the A+, then why study? Well, that, my friends, is the immature view of things. This is the mature view of things. All of us who are mature, he says, should take this view of things. That when you come to faith in Jesus, there is a profound motivation change that happens. There's a change that happens. From fear and guilt and trying to earn God's favor to love, to trust, and a desire to honor the one who gave his life for you and rescued you. If you see salvation as fire insurance, as A get-out-of-hell-free card sort of thing, and then you just go on living however you please, then you are completely missing the point. And I would argue that you're probably not saved. You probably don't know God, if that's your view of things. You should not have any assurance that you know God. Because what happens when you come to faith in Jesus that he puts his Holy Spirit in you? It's not just he forgives you his your sins, but he also puts his spirit in you. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Again, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you receive his righteousness, when you are adopted as his child, you also receive his Holy Spirit, and there's a motivation change that happens on the inside. You're not perfect in your motivation, but you start to desire him, to love him, to trust him, to want to honor him in a way that you didn't before. I became a Christian at the age of 18. I had no interest in reading the Bible before that day. I had no desire to pray. I had no desire to spend time with other Christians. When I came to faith in Jesus, there became this desire inside me that I could not explain. Nobody taught it to me. No one told me I needed to do it. I wanted to read the Bible. It came alive to me. It meant something to me. I wanted to spend time with God. I wanted to be around the company of other Christians. There was a desire to know as much as I could about God and know him more, not because of anything anyone taught me, but because God had put his Holy Spirit in me. My motivation changed. And now my motivation is love. I want to know him. I want to love him as he's loved me. I trust him. My motivation is that I trust that The one who gave his life for me is worthy of my trust that he knows what's best for me. So why would I live for the things of this world when he has said, no, this is what's best for you. And my motivation is to honor him. Again, where did that come from? It wasn't something that just naturally came. By the power of his Holy Spirit in me, there's a desire now to bring him honor and glory that just wasn't there before. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Again, at first the logic doesn't make sense. He's saying, it's not about earning anything before God. It's about trusting in Jesus. That's what makes you right with God. But then he says, it's not just then go live however you want because you got the A plus, so why study? But instead he says, now your motivation changes. Now it's not about earning. It's not about fear. It's not about guilt. It's about love. It's about trust. It's about wanting to honor him. Think of it this way. When I took Spanish in high school, I studied hard because it was a requirement, because I wanted to earn a good grade, I wanted to get into a good college, and after I graduated, I never studied Spanish again. I had no interest, and I don't spend my time studying Spanish. What might motivate me to learn Spanish at this age in my life? Well, if I were single, maybe, and I met a a woman who only spoke Spanish, that might motivate me to really learn Spanish, right? My motivation is no longer to earn a good grade, get into a good college, it's love. It's a desire to communicate with someone who I love. Before I knew Jesus, again, I had no desire for any of these things. There's no desire to pray, to read the Bible, to turn from sin and self-centeredness to worship, any of that. It wasn't present. But then when his Holy Spirit came in, there was a change. There was a change in desire and motivation from immaturity to maturity. Now there is this desire that was not there before to pray, to communicate with him, to learn more about him, to read the Bible because I want to know the one I love, the one who loves me. Even Paul says to be willing to suffer. I mean, it's one thing he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. To that we all say amen. But then he says, and I want to know Christ in the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. and we say, "Ah." Oh. That part's a little harder to say the amen to. But he says, that's how much I want to know God. That's how much I want to know Jesus, is that even if it means suffering the way he suffered so I could know him better, bring it on. It's a book by Johnny Erickson Tata called When God Weeps. She tells a story of a five-year-old boy named Matthew who volunteered with his parents and his brother at one of Johnny's retreats for disabled people. Johnny's a quadriplegic, and she puts on these retreats for other Disabled people. And she writes, at the end of the retreat, Matthew asked his father, when do I get to have my wheelchair, Daddy? And she writes this. She says, this little boy doesn't need a wheelchair. He has no use for one. But try telling him that. A wheelchair for Matthew would top his Christmas wish list. A wheelchair means a joyride. It also means an initiation into a wonderful club, a special group of kids who enjoy a special relationship with Johnny, This five-year-old hasn't a clue about the pain and paralysis, the heartaches and hurdles. He discounts all of that disregarding the dark side. All he desires is a chance to be among my best friends, a chance to identify with me, to be like me, a chance to know me. And if that means having a wheelchair, great, he'll welcome it. You know, when Paul says, I want to know Christ, even if it means suffering, this is what he's talking about here. It's a laser focus. All I want is you, Jesus. All I want is to know you more whatever comes my way, if it helps me know you more. As Jesus put it in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. The immature way of relating to God is this. It's fear. It's guilt. It's trying to earn God's favor. He's trying to move you on to maturity where his perfect love has cast out all fear, where you know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, where you know that you don't need to earn anything because he's given you his righteousness, that your motivation now is you love him, you trust him, You want to honor him with your life. The last way that I see him moving us from immaturity to maturity, he says that we need to move from being controlled by our past to being drawn by our future. Remember, he says, this is who I was. I trusted in all these things, my pedigree. I trusted in my good works. But now he says, I press on in verse 12. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's like, listen, I got a long way to go. I got a long way to go. I am nowhere near the person I want to be, but I am pressing on. I am striving and straining. I want to know him. And I'm going to forget what is behind. And I'm going to strain towards what is ahead. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Newness is very much a part of the gospel. Remember again, we read two of these verses earlier. Where he said, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart. Put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There's a lot in following Jesus and knowing him that is about putting the old in the past and becoming the new person that God has created you to be, being drawn by the future. And there's three things. When he says forget what is behind, there's three things that come to mind for me. First of all, forget your past failures. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Some of you look back at your life And there's a few things that you regret. There's a few things that haunt you. There's a few things that you wish you had never done, right? Ways that you can't forgive yourself. Forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. I mean, even Paul had to do this. He said this in 1 Timothy one twelve 12 12-16, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Can anyone say amen to that? But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul says, I was the worst. I was the worst of sinners. I was doing all I could to persecute the church and kill people and put them in jail. And now he saved me. He forgave me. And I can't believe it. He has appointed me to his service. He's called me to serve him. <laughs> And so, I need to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. I cannot let that weigh me down. I mean, can you imagine Paul going out to preach the gospel and running to people like, wait a minute? You're the guy responsible for murdering my parents. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. What would it mean for you this morning to trust his forgiveness, to let go of the failures of your past? To leave him at the cross, to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead, to believe these words in Psalm 103 For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins from us. What would it mean for you to forget your past failures? Secondly, forget your past successes and accomplishments. Again, he listed his spiritual resume, all the reasons he had to boast, and he said they are garbage. Excrement is the other way of translating that word. It's it's meaningless. Counts for nothing. Forget the past. He says, I have not yet arrived. I haven't arrived yet. Forget your past successes and accomplishments. Some of you may have uh, retired or be close to retirement age in here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Don't worry. You do understand that there's no such thing as retiring from the Lord's service, right? That would be an immature view of things to get to the age and say, well, I can coast from here to the end, right? That would be an immature view of things. The mature view would say, maybe I retire from my job, but I'm never retiring from knowing Christ and serving him to the day I die. Whatever breath, whatever strength he gives me, I will use to honor and serve him. Forget your past successes and accomplishments. Continue to press on to know him more. And then the last thing is this, forget your past suffering. Forget your past suffering. Forget what is behind and strain towards knowing him more. Forget your past suffering. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's not going to let the suffering of his past keep him from pursuing Christ, even if it means suffering more in the future, even if it means eventual torture and martyrdom, which I think it does for Paul. He's going to die in that prison. Some of you have suffered greatly at the hands of others, Some of you are reluctant to serve. You're reluctant to enter into relationship with others, to dive back into community because you have suffered at the hands of others, not because of anything you've done, but because of what other people have done to you. And you have good reason to be wary, to be cautious, to... Find it hard to trust people. What would it look like for you this morning to try to put into practice Paul's words here, to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead, to press on to know him more, to forget the failures of your past, to forget the successes of your past, to forget the suffering of your past, And just press on to know him more, whatever the cost. Let me close with this encouragement from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I know some of you are weary and some of you have lost heart. Can I encourage you this morning to press on, to keep your eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross out of his love for you, to make you right with him, Make you right with God, and let Him mature you this morning from religion to relationship with Him, from being motivated by fear and guilt and trying to earn God's favor to being motivated by love, by trusting in Him, by a desire to earn His faith, or to to honor God, and from being controlled by your past to being drawn by your future. Let me close in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing this morning to our hearts, to all those ways that we are broken and wounded, fearful, anxious. God, we need you to heal us. Thank you that Jesus was broken for us to make us whole in you. And Lord, help us, Lord, to move from from immature ways of viewing things. Help us to move on in maturity, to love you, to know your love, to live for you, not because we think it earns us anything, but because we just want to know you more. Help us to put the failures, the successes, the suffering of the past behind us, and to press on to know you more. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.